took this Cadillac thing and I put my own little Jesus Cadillac symbol in there. And I, I haven't gotten any letters from Cadillac yet. Woo! So I can keep, keep uh, ripping off their stuff. But their, their, their newest slogan is life, liberty, and the pursuit. And again, I have, if you drive a Cadillac, praise God, I got nothing against them. Uh, but it's the pursuit of happiness. And so I, I, I feel like the Cadillac executives need to listen to my podcast so that they can figure out what it means to be happy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. Blessed is the man. The Greek word means happy. Happy is the man. And what we find out is that it's totally opposite of what we're used to. Last week we talked about happy are those who mourn. What in the world is that all about? The week before that, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those people who come before God and they go, I I got nothing. That doesn't make any sense. I want to review a little bit from last week. It said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we talked about four things, uh, what to, how to get this happiness. And the first was to actually mourn, which seems like a silly first point. You have to actually mourn. But if you look at American culture today, most of it is to try to get around mourning. Do whatever we can to be happy. Put a Band-Aid on it. Shop or eat or do whatever so you don't feel the pain. And what the what the Bible has to say, which is so refreshing to me, is that it's okay to mourn. God's big enough for that. You can go through it if you have a loss. You can go through that. That's fine. God's big enough. He can handle it. To mourn. Don't try to put it aside. The second thing we talked about was continually uh, seek God's comfort. Because God says it's okay to mourn, He's going to be there to comfort us. If we try to use food to comfort us, if we try to use uh, a substance or we get into a bad relationship because we don't want to be left alone, so we use that to comfort us, all those things are destructive. But God's comfort comes day after day after day. It's continual. He's been comforting generation to, to generation. The third thing we talked about was stay connected. A lot of times when we get into a time of mourning, we, we, we feel like no one understands or we feel abandoned. And that's the time when the enemy comes in and says, you know, everyone knows you're going through this and nobody's called. And you go, you know, that's right. Thanks, Satan, for bringing that up. No, I'm kidding. You wouldn't actually say that. But, you know, it's all of a sudden these thoughts come in. You go, you know, that's right. I'll bet I could not even show up and then no one would even know. Oh, there we go. And off they go. They get I say, no, stay connected. That's why we, we, I encourage everyone to get, get in a small group. And again, if you're not in a small group, uh, a couple people did this last week. Fantastic. We'll get you hooked up. But on, in your flap, the thing you tear off, just put in there, I want to be involved in a small group. And if we don't have one, we'll get one started for you. And then fourthly, comfort others. The beauty about what, the comfort that God brings is it's not just for us. It's not just a one-time deal. It says that we are comforted so that we can in turn comfort others. We we go through these trials and the Lord fills us up with comfort to overflowing and then we have something to share when someone else is mourning. And that's one of the other reasons why we stay connected is so that we can minister to others even in the midst of our mourning. So this week we're talking about blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Another opposite in the kingdom of God uh, from the uh, from the kingdom of heaven, and I, we have to understand the context here because Jesus is coming on the scene when the Jews uh, are under Roman authority, and they want a Messiah to kick Romans butt. They want a Messiah that's going to come in, finally give them their land, the land they were promised, the land they were supposed to inherit. And so, when Jesus comes, remember He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So, and we saw that he's already healed, that uh, he's starting to drum up crowds, and now he goes on this mountaintop to kind of kick off his ministry. The first things he's going to say, and it's blessed are the meek. I mean, how disappointing for those Jews. There were Jewish zealots there that would carry little daggers to say, "When when the revolution comes, I'm ready to go. The Pharisees certainly didn't have a religion of meekness either. Everybody wanted a militant Messiah. Large crowds were following him by this time. Even in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus did everything, the disciples said, so are you going to usher in your kingdom now? Like, okay, we, we knew we were wrong before. You had to die and the whole sin thing, but now are we ready to go? They missed it. All along, we've been talking about Matthew, when we go through this book, that he's trying to show Jesus as the Messiah. And, and the thing that we're going to get in, in our heads over and over and over again, month after month as we go through this book, is the fact that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven, which is a, a term that only Matthew uses, and the kingdom on earth. What God's purpose and plans are, what our purpose and plans are. And so the thing we have to understand is it's not like these are two countries that live peacefully next to each other. It's not like, oh, yeah, I went into Mexico and then I came back out and it's really great. I went into the kingdom of heaven, kind of went into church, but then I had to make it back into the kingdom of the world real quick because I had my job. And then I was getting, I went back in the kingdom of heaven for the weekend. And then I, you know, it's not like that. They're actually at war with each other. Imagine us at war with Canada or Mexico. I mean, not really. Don't imagine that, really. But, you know, you'd, you'd be, oh, man. That's what it's like. And so what I want to do real quickly is go over. um, Whenever I say real quickly, you guys are like, yeah, right. Real quick. As quickly as I know how. um, I want to go over these two kingdoms and see how they work with blessed are the meek. And then we'll go into um, our own thing here that gets kind of weird. But you guys will like it, I think. Um, There's two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world equals pride. That's pretty much an easy way to sum up the kingdom of the world. It's pride. You get your way by politics or power or money or posturing or trying to figure out how you can work this deal and how how it can all work for you. And the, the job is always about the next raise and the next thing. And some of that stuff's fine. But that's the kingdom of the world. It's based on pride. And it's dangerous. Because if you look at James, I have three verses up here. The first is James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember I said they were at war? When we begin to advance the kingdom of of earth, God actually opposes us. When I become proud, God actually opposes me. That's a dangerous position for me to be in. You say, well, John, then what happens? You just, then, you know, does he just squash you like a bug? No, thank goodness. Well, thank God. (laughs) He gives us grace right but he still opposes us proverbs eleven two. when pride comes then comes dishonor but with the humble is wisdom before destruction the heart of a man is haughty but humility goes before honor god opposes this proud. Well, what does pride look like well there's a couple examples in the old testament i want to briefly touch on the first is nebuchadnezzar and what happened was daniel we all know about daniel and the lion's den but daniel got this uh, nebuchadnezzar got this trippy vision it was really bizarre, and he didn't know what it was all about. So he goes to Daniel, 
God had gifted Daniel with the ability to interpret these wacky dreams. And he goes to Daniel and he says, what, you know, what is this all about? And Daniel has to give him a harsh word and says, well, you know what? You're the problem, Nebuchadnezzar. God's going God's to tear you up. You've got to change your ways. So it goes on. It says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. <laughs> At least he's honest, right? At least he's saying, yeah, this is all me. I did it myself. Have you ever met anyone who tries to mask that? By, you know, they drive up in their new car or whatever. And, yeah, God's been good. Oh, I'm blessed, brother. Got the nice Rolex. I'm blessed. Really, they're just saying, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Take a look, Right? I've done it myself. Not quite in that deep of a voice. <laughs> but I've, I've totally masked my pride in some veiled spiritual insight, right? I've done it. At least, at least Nebuchadnezzar like, says it like it is, by my mighty power. Verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And what happened to him was exactly what was promised was going to happen 12 months earlier. He was driven away from his people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. God opposes the proud. He stood up and he went, ah, yeah, I pretty much did all this. And the Lord's like, now, does the Lord do that today? I don't know, maybe. Maybe. I think he's done it to me in my own life. I know there's a command, though, to humble myself. That the Lord isn't interested in humbling me. He wants me to do it myself. Because here's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. Now watch what he notices. He notices there's another kingdom. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar went, oh, it's all about this kingdom. This is pride. This is a prideful kingdom. His eyes were fixed on God and his kingdom. Another example in the Old Testament was Uzziah. He was, a, he was an awesome king. He took the throne at 16, and he did great things for God and for uh, Israel. He, he, he was, uh, it says he loved the soil. And he planted vineyards. I mean, he totally had uh, uh, the land all cultivated. And uh, he was uh, an engineer. And he put towers out at the edge of, the, of his kingdom. And they, it says it, it was, uh, he made machines that hurled great stones. So he had these killer, uh, th- yeah, thanks, catapults uh, on these um, pillars at the end. So it's just, you know, when the armies would come, it's like, pew, pew, that's so cool to me. And it says he loved the Lord and he honored the Lord. And it says the Lord helped him with this and this and the, the Philistines. Ah, then we get to 2616. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Something reserved for the priests. You're not allowed to do that. You have to be consecrated. This is the way the Lord had set it up. See, God has set up all sorts of different institutions and different ways that work best for us. 
And what happens is things start going real great for us, and all of a sudden we decide, ah, I could do it this way. So he goes in to burn incense, and the priest comes and says, you, you can't do that. And he's got this scepter in his hand. He's about ready to burn incense, and he's got the scepter. So he starts arguing with the priest. It says, it's really cool. It says, um, uh, Azariah, the chief priest, um, and it says, came in with some other courageous priests. They had to come, they had to go to the, before the king and say, man, you're living in sin. That's hard. When you're living in this kingdom of pride, it's hard to receive that word. So here's what happens to the guy. He starts arguing with him, and all of a sudden, some leprosy breaks out of the forehead. Right there. And one of the greatest verses in the Bible is found here because I can totally relate to this guy. It says, when uh, Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, and they saw... He had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. And then it says, indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Like, let's get out of here. You ever do that when you were a kid? You're playing baseball and all of a sudden the window breaks? Come on, you know, that's what they did. There's leprosy. Come on, let's run. And the Lord didn't take the leprosy away from him. He was done. Now, the Lord doesn't, I haven't seen anyone with leprosy lately, at least out here. So you guys are pretty good. But the Lord opposes the proud. So we're, we're, what about the other kingdom? Well, that's the meek one. That's the meek one. And you'd think that the proud one, the one that's built on power and posturing, trying to get everything, you'd think that would be the more powerful kingdom. But it's not. That's the upside-down value system of God. The meek is actually the more powerful. The kingdom of heaven is different. It's poor in spirit and it's mourning and it's meek. And Jesus gets up there and he says, it's going to be totally different than the way you think. Put away your sword, he says at the end of his ministry to Peter. Listen to what the word of God says about meekness. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Remember what came before that verse? We talked about it last week. Wash your hands, mourn and wail. Humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. When I'm weak, then what? I'm strong. Same thing. All about meekness. And this is what Jesus brought. Remember we talked about Matthew. One of the things Matthew tried to do was he would point to Old Testament references of the Messiah so that he could show this is the guy. This is the king. And he does this later on in Matthew chapter 21. And listen to the verse he uses. Because remember, they're ushering, this is at the triumphal entry, and they're ushering in Jesus. They're laying down palm branches going, do it. Let's do it. Let's take on Jerusalem and let's get it done. Here's what it says. This took place to fulfill what was written through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you. How? Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isaiah 61, the great chapter that talks about uh, Jesus coming as the Messiah. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Then it goes on. He'll comfort all those who mourn. He'll provide those who grieve in Zion an oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of... Uh, a spirit of despair. 
There's a whole, it's not, there's a sense of meekness and gentleness. This is the kingdom of heaven. And this is what God is saying to us when he says, happy are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Well, what does meekness look like? I'd imagine we all have a pretty good idea. I would say that we, we'd probably, if you were to describe somebody who's meek or if you could point them out, we'd probably hit it pretty close. I mean, I think we get a pretty good sense of who that is. David wrote a psalm that I think really sums it up. And I just want to read the first nine verses of that psalm, uh, which looks like a lot uh, because, uh, oh, maybe I didn't, but don't worry about it. Listen, this is what it says. Do not fret. It's Psalm 37, if you want to turn to it. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. Don't worry about the fact that you're not posturing and they are and it looks like they're succeeding. Don't worry about that. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Now here's where it gets good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil, for evil men will be cut off. Now listen, the meek will inherit the earth. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Hope in the Lord, and you'll inherit the land. You'll inherit the earth. You could almost say, and someone should write this down, seek first... (laughs) His kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek, if we follow God's guidelines and God's standards without having to push and, oh, if I don't say something, then they're just going to do it again, and I need to, don't worry about that. Commit your way to the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And you'll find that they change. See, when we focus on the kingdom of... It's not that we have these desires on earth. I have a desire for, you know, whatever. A a mansion. And so if I trust in the Lord, He'll give me that desire. No. He'll give me a new desire. He'll give me the desires of my heart. He'll give me the desires. The actual desires that will fulfill me. It's not that he'll give me everything I desire right now. He'll give me entirely new desires. That's what it means. A good verse to show how kind of this meekness and boldness go together. I didn't, I didn't talk about, um, I, I missed it up there. But uh, meekness is strength brought under control. It's not timidity. Now listen, Jesus is saying already, blessed are the meek. But what has he done already? He's overturned, he's gone into the temple and jacked them up. He turned over all the tables and cleansed it. Now, he didn't do that meekly by, like, the way we think of meek. He didn't walk in and go, hi, um, those doves you're selling, uh, I, I don't think you should do that because it's, 
I just don't think, I mean, it's okay now, but maybe in a couple weeks, no? Okay, well, have fun, good luck. That's what we think of as being meek, right? No way. He came in and it was just like, man, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Throwing stuff over, going crazy with righteous anger. Not going crazy, he's Jesus, he wasn't going crazy, but... Right? It's strength brought under control. The, the, the Greek word here, this word he uses, is, is farmers would use this to describe a horse that, is, that has been tamed and is totally useful now for what they need it to be useful for. If you look at a horse, it's fast and it's strong. But a tamed horse, it has all that potential, but it's being used in a way that is supposed to be used. That's the idea of meekness. We have all this power within us from God, all these things, and the Lord's saying, no, we're going to use it for God's purposes. Strength brought under control. We see it with Abraham and Lot. Abraham was given, God said, any place you step is yours. You got it. And when Abraham and Lot got together, Abraham said, you know what, Lot, you go wherever you want. I'll take wherever I want. Lot looks down at the pasture and is just like, all right, I'll take the good stuff. And Abraham's like, cool. He had the power, he had the authority to go, I'll tell you what, why don't you go back uh, 50 miles and camp out and I'm taking all this. But he didn't. Joseph was sold into slavery by his, by his brothers. He rose all the way up to be prime minister of Egypt during a famine. He could have just wiped his brothers out. They came to him for food. They didn't know it was him. He could have just squashed them. But he, now he, he played with them a little bit, okay? Like I would if my brother came to me asking for money, which will never happen. But if he did, you know, and all the things he did to me, throwing darts at me and stuff like that, I'd, I'd kind of like mess with him a little bit. But ultimately, he didn't, right? David had a chance to kill Saul. Saul had tried to kill David. If, if, if David killed Saul in the Bible, we wouldn't think anything of it. Because we're like, yeah, he was trying to kill you. It's eye for an eye week on, uh, in the Old Testament, right? No, David says he just cuts off a little bit of his robe and then goes out and says, I could have killed you. Let's, let's bring this together. That's what meekness looks like. So, uh, let's go past. I have a Colossians. Sorry. Thanks for going back for me. Yeah, that was the verse I was reading. Yeah, let's go past that. Cool. Right there. Let's learn from Jesus. If Jesus says, if, if, if our king is coming on, 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 a, on a donkey and he's gentle, and he says in Matthew uh, chapter 11, take my, yoke upon, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says, learn from me. Why? For I am gentle, it's the same word, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't finding rest for your souls really Inheriting the earth. <laughs> I mean, when we, when we think of winning the lottery or we think of a great inheritance, it's not all we're really looking for is security and comfort. And, ah, oh, I just don't need to worry anymore. Right? That's what we think of. Have you ever imagined winning the lottery? Okay. I, I, I have. Is that okay? Okay. Just check it. You know, I thought, okay, if I had $25 million, what would I do? Well, I'd set up, blah, 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 I'd get all set up. And, and I always end up with like, ah, oh, yeah, cool. Ah, 
win the lottery. I got to play the lottery first to win it. But I think, wow, that'd be it. What do I really want? What's the final thing? Ah, I don't have to worry. What Jesus is saying is learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Take all that power you got, everything. Control it. A yoke is just a, a piece of wood that went over two oxen to just secure them in place so they could work in tandem together. And Jesus is saying, put that on me. Let me control you. And you learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble. And you're going to find rest for your souls. You're going to inherit the earth. When you seek first my kingdom, all these other things are going to be added to you. You're not going to have to worry. If you focus on this kingdom in meekness and gentleness, you're going to inherit the earth. You're going to get it. Take my yoke upon you. So what we're going to do in the next few minutes, uh, I didn't know if you knew this, but we have a living spring meek-o-meter. There it is. And uh, yeah, this is, you'll only find this at this church, okay? And as you can see, I had it patented. There's the patent number down at the bottom. Uh, And so if you're thinking about leaving the church and taking this to another church, I will find out and I will sue that other church. Because this is my invention. No, okay. Uh, so it's a micometer. Now bear with me so you guys don't go, this guy's totally insane. I'm going to ask 10 questions because I think we could just keep going over verse of verse and verse and verse over being meek. And I think we know most of them. But I want to make it really practical for us so that we can take an inventory in our lives to see is there an area of our lives that needs to be under control. Does it, do we have this, some power in our life that needs to be under control so that we can be more meek? So if we go to the first one, when you get all done, uh, go, yeah, there we go. If you get all done, each question is worth two meek points, okay? So if you get all done and you only have like one meek point, then that's where you are when you leave. That's your, your, your way into the pride, and so you've got some problems. But if you add up all your points, and let's say you're doing pretty good, and you go to the next one, and now you're moving up a little bit. That's, that's a little better. It's still orange. You can't really see it. But then if you add your points up, now you're in the yellow. That's pretty good. That's, how many points is that? Because each little hash mark is a point. So I don't know, 15 points there. But then if you're really good, if you have two points per, then there you go, and you're at the meek. That's, you want to walk out. If you cheat, you're, you automatically go to the pride level, and you're, you're gone. Okay. So if you want, you can cut this out at the end of the service and put it on your dashboard and, and try and get that meter uh, up dur- during the week, okay? So I know this seems completely sacrilegious and that leprosy will break out on my forehead, but uh, I think we'll be okay, okay? So what you'll do is you got little hash marks on there. With each one, you kind of count up, ah, I guess I'm one and a half points, and you put a little hash mark, and then you add from there, and at the end, you'll know where to draw your line, Okay? And I do have a patent on it. Don't even think about trying to steal it. All right. First question. We're going to learn from Jesus because he's gentle and humble in heart. We want to find rest for our souls. I want to ask you a few questions that I had to ask myself this week. And I wasn't happy with my micometer results. So I'm going to work on it. Lisa wanted to call it a micometer. Um, and I'm like, why don't you invent something? Then you can name it. But it's my invention. Okay. <laughs> And then she said, yeah. And then she said, well, you're down at pride. And I said, so. If you want to call it a meekometer, you can. That gave me a couple more meek points. Okay, here we go. Number one, am I consumed with my own agenda? 
Am I consumed with my own agenda? There's a question right there. When I wake up in the morning and I get in my car and I go to work and I work and then I come home and I watch TV, what I buy, what I eat, what I wear, am I totally consumed with my own agenda? Jesus said uh, this. He said, my father, in, in John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. You get the idea that Jesus is working side by side with his father. Going, what do you want me to do? You ever, you ever do that? I, I, I spend a lot of time working in construction, not because I'm any good at it, but because I could carry things around for the people who knew what they were doing. And so they go, hey, I want you to take all that lumber over there and bring it over there. And they were usually much bigger than I am. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And so I did what I was told. It wasn't my agenda. Like, yeah, I'll get to it when I can. No. It was, no, I want you to move it over there, and then I want you to move it back. <laughs> you know, because they just love toying with me like that. But when we operate in our own agenda, God says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Oh, man, I was going to watch the game. Oh, I was going to, oh, man. That's an indication that we're operating on our own agenda. I do that all the time. I've got my day set out. This is what I want to do, and all of a sudden something will happen, and oh. The Lord's going, you forget your own agenda. This is what I want you to do. And I too am working side by side with his father. What does Jesus say? Here's what Jesus says. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. If we're going to learn from Jesus, he's gentle and humble in heart. We're going to learn how he, Jesus dealt with it. And this was Jesus' death. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. That's an indication to me on how I can get out of my own agenda. How I can get my meek points up a little higher. So, look at yourself. Analyze it. Are are we totally consumed with our own agenda? Is it all about us? Zero meek points. Maybe we're doing okay. We struggle with it a little bit, but we're getting under control. One meek point. I'm going to allow you guys to be your own judge. I'm not going to grade these myself. All right? Second thing, can I control my tongue? Can I control my tongue? What I say. Not can you tie a cherry stem in a knot with it. Not that type of control your tongue. Can I control what I say? (laughs) Apparently I cannot. Okay. Uh, can, Can I control what I say? A great indication of whether we're, we're prideful or whether we're meek. What am I talking about? Well, James chapter 3, verse 2 says this. We all stumble in many ways. Oh, thank you, James, for admitting that. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. And then what uh, James does is he starts describing these things that have great power but are kept under control. A ship has great power, but it's just a little rudder that steers it. Uh, A horse has great power, but we put a little bit in it to control it. A fire, I mean, if there's any greater word picture this week, a fire is set by just a small blaze, and yet, look at all the destruction it can do. Same with our words. Meek people understand how much power... (laughs) is right here. And so they keep it at bay. 
They know that if they say just one little wrong thing, oh, have you ever done that? One little thing? I've, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yes, I have. Where you just say one little flippant, oh, blah, 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 and all of a sudden, and the enemy's just waving wind at it going, woo, and off it goes. Meek people understand that. Meek people understand how to control their tongue. So what does Jesus say? If we're going to learn from Jesus, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. See, instead of trying to figure out what words we can or cannot say, what conversations we can or cannot have, or that I have, or, or what topics am I allowed to talk about or not allowed to talk about, how about my standard is, I'm not going to say anything until the Lord tells me to say something. It would be pretty quiet around here. Okay, next question. Do I trust in solving my own problems? And... I can totally rely on my flesh. Now, he's not talking about solving his own problems. What he's talking about is how he's going to live his spiritual life. I can go before God with total confidence because I have all this stuff in my flesh. The reason I use this one for uh, solving our own problems is because we do the same thing of, well, how can I make myself look the best? How can I, I don't, this isn't going well for me. What can I do to make it appear on the outside of the cup that I'm clean and that we can get everything worked out instead of worrying about the inside of the cup? Jesus says this. Right before he's about ready to die, uh, the, the people come to take him away, and he says, do you, do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Can I submit to authority? First Peter 5, 5. Look, look at what he says. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Again, not necessarily people who are in authority, but just be submissive to people who are older than you. All of you, me included, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Because, again, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We've got to make sure that we're able to go... See, when we submit to authority, what we're really saying is, God, I give you ultimate authority. I will let you deal from the top down to that person. Instead of me trying to deal from the bottom up, I'm going to let you deal from the top down. That is hard. That's kingdom, that is kingdom-mindedness there. It's really difficult, especially in today's society. But it's a sign. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. He goes on, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Even Jesus, with all authority and all power, lays it down. Can he submit to authority? We can learn from Jesus in this. Mark your meter. Where are you on that? Number five, do I give credit to God for my successes? Do I give credit to God for my successes? Or do you drive up in the new car and go, oh yeah, just got a big raise. I'm finally being appreciated, right? That's the deepest my voice can go. It's so sad. Even when I try to be extra manly, it doesn't really even work. That's so sad. 
Paul says it this way in Philippians. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. If there's anything good coming from my ministry, if there's anything good, I can do all things, but I need his strength to do it. So if it's done, he did it. And let me tell you this. If there's anything good that needs to be accomplished, it can be done in meekness. Let me say that again. Anything you want done that's worthy of kingdom, of the kingdom, it can be done in meekness. So if you get to a point in your life and you go, well, you know, this one thing, I understand what he's saying, but this one thing I've got to do on my, on my own. It's not worth having. That's a worldly thing. It's not for the kingdom. I can, give, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Jesus said it this way, if we're going to learn from Jesus. After Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Any credit the son gets is going right back to the father so give me make me totally exalted because i'm giving it all to you that's what he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of god right now right it helps when you're god but uh he 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 showed us we learned from him he showed us what to do lord if there's anything good that comes every good and perfect gift comes from you do i give god credit for my successes number six am i more interested in others than myself If you are, you get two, if you're totally interested in others, two micometer points. You can add it right now. What happened to uh, James and John? They, 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 went there, they had their mom, again, we've talked about this before. They had their mom go to Jesus and say, um, can, you know, can you do something for me? Can James and John sit at your uh, right and left hand? And Jesus is like, no, you don't even know what you're talking about. I'm paraphrasing. And, uh, and so... She, you know, she's like, oh, well, the other disciples found out about this. And this is the kind of thing we're talking about in Psalm 37. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. But the disciples didn't do that. They got all upset. What? You're asking them if you can sit on their right and left hand. And that has, Jesus, what's going on here? And Jesus calls them uh, together. It says, when the ten heard about this, this was the other ten, the two uh, asked Jesus to, to sit on the right and left side. They were indignant with the two brothers. They called uh, them together and said, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Now listen, Jesus is describing the kingdom of the world, pride. He says, look at this world here. You can see it. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Let's look up here. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first uh, must be your slave. And then Jesus goes on, and this is what we learn from Jesus. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Am I more concerned with others or myself? It's a good micometer question. I have to take inventory in my own life and go daily and go, oh man, it kind of goes along with your own agenda. Seven, do I take criticism well and appreciate those that give it? This is a real fast way to lose all your micometer points, okay? Taking criticism is hard. I mean, what's the first thing you want to do? Well, you, right? Hey, John, you know, I noticed that you, well, you, you are the one to talk. 
take the log out of your own eye first, right? Is that, oh, it's so hard to take criticism. But meek people understand, listen, if there's an area in my life that's going to help me serve the kingdom more, tell me about it and let me get rid of it. That's how meek people are. In the Old Testament, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 36, the king of Judah was went to one of the prophets and said, please go before the Lord, tell him I'm so sorry. And God said this, tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning, oh, I'm sorry, ah, James 121. No? Psalm 32.8. That's it. I was a full two points ahead of myself. Let's pray. No, okay. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. That's a tough one. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Don't be like that. Allow, allow people to speak into your life and teach you. It's difficult. When someone says, you have a problem with gossip, that's tough. When someone says, you know what? You don't treat your wife very well at all. Ah, Those are tough words. Proverbs 29.1. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Oh, man. It's like a workout. You go work out, it's painful, but in the long run, it's good for you, right? Think of when someone's criticizing you, not critical and criticizing, but just helping you along. Think of it like, oh man, this is painful now, but it's going to be helpful in the long run. Jesus said it this way. Now see, Jesus didn't take any criticism because you can't really criticize Jesus. But he spoke into a lot of people's lives, <laughs> right? So let's see how he did that. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Jesus is saying, if you just open your ears, if you are able to look into yourself. He's talking to the Pharisees here. And he's going, guys, if you just put away the legalism and you'd stop trying to do this all yourself, you'd hear what I'm trying to say. It doesn't have to be like this. That's what gets so frustrating sometimes when you're trying to share the truth with somebody and they're like, you're just preaching at me. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I do, but... Uh, it, no, it's, it's that if you just see, you, wouldn't, you don't have to live like that. Can you take criticism well? Number uh, eight, will I readily change my life to match biblical standards? Now that you've been criticized <laughs> and someone said, hey, this part of your life needs to change, will you readily change to match biblical standards? James 1.21 says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly... Accept the word implanted in you, which can save you. Then it goes on. Do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. If I'm prideful, I don't want to change. If I'm meek, I go, all right, Lord, this is it. Jesus said it this way. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Number nine, am I quick to ask for forgiveness from God? Am I quick to ask for forgiveness of God? This was the, now we're into the king. Caught up to myself here now. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive 
and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Prideful people are like, wow, that wasn't so bad. People are doing worse than me. Meek people go before and say, Lord, I am so sorry. We talked about this last week of mourning over our sin. And the Lord says, that's what I'm looking for. A humble and a contrite heart, he, he will not deny. Number 10, am I quick? Oh, uh, Jesus doesn't say anything on this because he never had to ask for forgiveness. So uh, we really can't see what he has to say because he, he never had to ask for forgiveness. Uh, number 10. Am I quick to forgive others? I don't know where you guys are on your Miko meter right now, but uh, hopefully it's way over toward the meek section. Listen to what Colossians 3.13 says. This is a powerful, powerful verse. You ready? Pay attention. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. That's a sign of a meek body of Christ. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. You mean whatever? Like whatever grievance? Because there's some pretty bad grievances going on. Whatever? He, he goes on and he says, well, I'll tell you what. We'll do it by this standard. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, that is whatever. Nuts. I was looking for a loophole. Right? If you were looking for a loophole, you lose one micometer point right there. You just take it right off. I don't care where you take it off. You, 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 you miss one. Am I quick to forgive others? This kind of goes along with my own agenda and looking after the interests of others over myself. Am I quick to forgive? Do I, am I readily in a meek position before God, always going, oh, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm poor in spirit and I'm mourning my sin. I'm not in a position to approach you, yet by your grace you've forgiven me. Thank you. With that spirit, I forgive so-and-so for scratching my car or for calling me an idiot or for not waving at me on the street or whatever it is. Quick to forgive others is a huge sign of meekness. So much so that I'll make it worth three points so that if you really do forgive others, you can get an extra point there. It's very important. Let's end with this. Again, what does it mean to inherit the earth? What does it mean to inherit the earth? What, what, how would you feel if you inherited the earth? How much comfort would you have? How much, oh, no more bills to pay. Ah, oh, wouldn't that feel good? Oh, man, I can, if I need anything, I can just get it. I can, I can bless people now more. I can give more away. I'm going to set up all the... It's all available now. All those feelings of contentment, they're available now. The meek get them. Because the meek say, I don't need what the world has to offer. I have a relationship with God. We are in all. We are in all.